Um, so, tonight I'm going to start with kind of a modern parable. Um, I'm wondering if any of you have ever listened to music that just didn't sound right. I was listening to a song actually this morning, and the band was this um, male and female duo, and I was thinking about how I could barely hear the man's voice, even though his part was just as important, and it made the whole thing, the whole song, kind of sound sloppy. Um, and I realized as I was listening to it that it wasn't really the individual parts that were done poorly. They weren't singing sloppy or anything. It was the final mixing that made it sound bad, right? Um, that's why we hear about these albums that get remastered and then re-released. You know, you hear that every few years. Like, the Beatles yeah. remastered and re-released. Because someone's gone back into these tracks and they've made edits to correct the volume and the frequency and make sure that all of the individual parts are working together well. They're also looking at like how each track fits together in a whole album so that they flow from one to the next really seamlessly. And this doesn't even just apply to music, you know, there's like Academy Awards for sound mixing in the movies too. Um, and you may think that you know absolutely nothing about music, but I always tell people they know more than they think because you probably still notice when the low notes are buzzing super loud or the high notes are, are piercing your ears. Not literally, but, you know, <laughs> sound is piercing. Um, or when commercials come on, like, way louder than the show you were just watching, right? So all of that is... Um, to say that I, I'm not like a wannabe sound engineer or anything. But I think this can be a modern day parable for Christ being an, an equalizer in the church. Um, he's that thing, that person who brings the church together into this perfect mix, this final mix of music or whatever your example is for that. Um, like on a soundboard, there are equalizing channels that make everything flow together. So tonight we're going to finish reading 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as part of my little modern parable of the equalizer. Um, and then Tyler's going to begin 1 Corinthians chapter 12 next week, and I'll complete my part two of this sort of mini-series in two weeks. Um, when I teach on the body of Christ, the second half of second, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, so we're going to start by just reading from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. And this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it, but of course there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. 
On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about other matters after I arrive. And we have no idea what those other matters are because we weren't there when Paul actually visited the Corinthians. Just an FYI. Um, anyway, last week Tyler led us um, in this discussion about a question the Corinthians had asked Paul. And it had to do um, with women and head coverings and all of these crazy things. And we had a good talk about that. And in that section, I think Paul is pretty kind to them. And he's just telling them what he thinks. He's kind of being like this wise spiritual father to them. But this week he's back with his correction in full force. Like it's it's no more Mr. Nice Guy <laughs> And he repeats over and over again in this first section that he's gonna refuse to praise them for their behavior in this area of their of their church. Um, and I always used to think that this passage was just one more way that the Corinthian church was crazy, right? Like, throughout this whole letter, Paul seems to be telling them what's wrong with them. He's correcting them left and right. And one thing that Tyler's been hitting again and again and teaching through 1 Corinthians um, is that this book seems to be all about how to live as a Christian in a non-Christian world. And that's true. The Corinthians, they seem to keep going back to an old way of life. And, um, they were learning how to live out this newfound faith they had in Jesus. And many of them had come from Roman religion. They worshipped hundreds of gods before, and so now they're learning how to love and serve just one true God. Um, and I used to think that this passage was about how the Corinthians were so crazy that they were um, abusing communion, this amazing meal that's meant to be... be taken seriously, a, a way to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And I thought it was all about how they were overeating and getting drunk at the communion table. Could you imagine that? <laughs> People getting drunk at the communion table? Um, or I thought that this was all about how, <laughs> um, about how they were taking this, like, they were taking communion too frivolously. Like, they were coming to the table when they weren't 
thinking about their own lives or examining their hearts, as Paul talks about in verse 28 and 31 of this passage. Um, I thought they were taking it for granted and that communion was supposed to be like this somber and sad thing, like be really introspective and, and think about think about who you are and your sinfulness, <laughs> which I think to a certain extent is true, right? Um, and this passage does touch on all of those things, but with further study and as I was just reading through it and praying about it, I realized that getting drunk and coming to the table un- unworthy is like the least of Paul's worries. I mean, I think he is worried about that. He is. He doesn't want them to come drunk or to get drunk, right? <laughs> but I feel like that's um, incidental to the real issue that Paul's getting at. So a little bit of historical background. In the first centuries after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church would gather together and have um, what scholars call love feasts. Um, So really it was this time kind of like what we do after our Mosaic gatherings where the church would get together and they would share food and conversation and fellowship. And it was a, a really joyful celebration. It was a fun thing. That they did together. It was a way for them to share their lives. And no one went hungry. Every person um, was cared for during these love feasts. And sometimes to conclude one of these feasts, the believers would celebrate what Paul calls in this passage the Lord's Supper, also called breaking bread, also called Holy Communion, also called um, the Eucharist in some churches. And that fancy word just comes from Um, a Greek word that means to give thanks, like where it said that Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to God. Um, That's where the word Eucharist comes from. Um, And Paul, in this passage, is probably describing one of these meals, right, at the church in the city of Corinth. Except in Corinth, people weren't being taken care of. And they They were going hungry. Um, And it isn't just that some people were getting drunk. Like, that's not the only problem. And drunkenness is specifically mentioned in the Bible as a sin, right? But the problem is that people were getting so much wine, they were drinking so much wine and eating so much food that there was nothing left for the rest of the people. And that's the heart of the issue for Paul. Paul is worried about the people who are going without Um, He says in verse 22, What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? I'm certainly not going to praise you for this. So Paul says that, that this action is disgracing God's church and it's shaming the poor. And the English Standard Version of the Bible says that The Corinthians were humiliating those who had nothing. Um, So apparently these people, this church was bringing their own food to these gatherings, but some of them were eating it all and not sharing anything with the poor people in their church. So could you imagine us coming here and eating together after our service, but telling somebody, um, I'm sorry a better job than you so you can't eat any of my food (laughs) um 
you just haven't contributed enough. <laughs> like, all he brought was that box of crackers, so you can't have this full meal. Um, but that's what the Corinthians were doing. And then they didn't even have enough at the end, if, if this is a love feast, to have communion together. Probably, or maybe, because somebody drank all of the expensive wine before they could even use it to represent Jesus' blood. So Paul continues in verse 23, and he um, reminds them of what Jesus said at the Last Supper. He, he says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed... The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. That's where that word Eucharisteo is. Um, so he gave thanks to God for it. Right before he died, he gave thanks. That's pretty amazing that Jesus could be give, giving thanks to God for everything right before his death. Then Jesus broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So taking communion is an act of announcing the Lord's death. Hmm. Which makes me kind of wonder why do we want to keep announcing the Lord's death? Like shouldn't we be celebrating Jesus' resurrection instead, right? Why does Paul say that this is announcing God's or Jesus' death? Um, and I think it's because communion reminds us and it should have reminded the Corinthians that Jesus' death was necessary because we were so far gone and we could never make a way on our own to God because we could never earn his love or his grace or his forgiveness because on our own, what we do is we sin and we hurt each other and um, we make messes of life. Because of all that, Jesus had to die. Or that was God's plan, was for Jesus to die. And because of Jesus' death, we are made new. We get to experience new life in Christ. Um, so it, it declares his death because his death was necessary to get us that relationship with God. So if Tyler's... Tyler's theme is living as Christians in a non-Christian world. And if I had to pick a secondary theme about what 1 Corinthians is all about, it would be living as Christians with other Christians. Because we're all really radically different, right? And the Corinthians were a group of really different people too. When Paul first visited them, I just read in Acts this week that he um, went into the synagogue to start and that there were um, non-Jews, non Gentiles, who were converted at that time. And also the Jewish synagogue leader was converted at that, at that time, Crispus. He mentions Crispus in chapter 1 of this letter, I think. 
Um, so there were a lot of different types of people that were here. Um, there were Jews and Gentiles, there were men and women, there were slaves and masters, and there were rich and poor. And that's what Paul's talking about here. There's a division that's happening between the rich and the poor. And Paul, in this like characteristically extreme way where he just always has to take it to the next level, he says, go home. If, if you Corinthians are just hungry, if all you're coming here to do is to be gluttons and drunks, then you should eat at home and not bother coming. Because there's no reason for you to gather if it isn't to truly love each other and to serve one another and to share life together in this feast and in this communion as well. Um, because this gathering was meant to be that time of them sharing life together and sharing this remembrance of Jesus' blood and body broken for them. So... Um, communion was an act of thanksgiving and it still is for us we're grateful to God for his love and for Jesus's death as that substitution for our sin that access we get to God the Father but to me communion is also a symbol of of Jesus being this equalizer right it's a reminder that each one of us equally needs Jesus his blood redeems each and every one of us, and it brings us into God's family. And um, because, I mean, we can't forget that the fall of man, sin coming into the world, that's an equalizer too. All of us are equally sinful. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So... There's perfect and there's not perfect. And since Jesus was the only perfect one, is the only perfect one, all the rest of us fall in the not perfect category, right? So my reminder to us tonight, to myself tonight, is that at the foot of the cross and in light of Jesus' sacrifice, we're all equal. And it's really hard to live in unity and to love and serve one another because we are so radically different. And um, we may still be living as Christians in a non-Christian world, but I think that it's just as hard for us to be Christians with other Christians mm -hmm. because we have clashing personalities or we're different ages or different cultures but the whole gospel is meant for the whole world, right? The gospel is for each and every one of us. Jesus is for each and every one of us. And really, Jesus is what unites all of us together. I mean, there's some actual bloodline family relationships in this room, but a lot of us might not have met if it wasn't for Jesus, right? Um, if it wasn't for his church that he's built. Um, so going back to my music metaphor, um, and this will make even more sense when we talk about the body of Christ, but because we're all different, we're all like those different tracks in music, right? Like one of us might be the male voice and one of us might be that female voice and maybe that male voice does need to get bumped up in the equalizing, right? Um, because it's not playing its proper role. 
Um, so we might not all play the same notes, but we each have a part to play. And Jesus brings us into this family where we're united and where we love and serve one another. And um, we all equally belong there because Jesus is the one who put us there, who invited us in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is where I'll finish tonight, um, was a German Lutheran pastor, and he was executed during World War II for speaking out against the Nazi regime. Um, and yeah, he just didn't believe that what Hitler was doing was right. And when they found out about him, he was imprisoned and put to death. But he wrote a couple of really good books before that happened. And one of them is called Life Together. And he says this about the cross and about Jesus. Without Christ, there is discord between God and man, between God and man, and between man and man. Christ became mediator and made peace with God and among men. Without Christ, we should not know God. We could not call upon him nor come to him. But without Christ, we also would not know our brother, nor would we come to him. The way is blocked by our own ego. I like that. Mm. My own ego keeps me from really coming to people. Um, Christ opened up the way to God and to our brother. Now Christians can live with one another in peace. They can love and serve one another. They can become one. But they can continue to do so only by way of Jesus Christ. So in taking communion tonight which is what we're going to do to practice this, um, I want us to remember that, to remember that the cross is what unifies us, that in Christ and at his cross, at his feet, there's no such thing as slave or free or Jew or Gentile or male and female. That's, that's in another book Paul wrote, and he says a little bit of that in chapter 12 too. Um, that... Jesus is what makes us able to have proper relationship with God and proper relationship with each other. So I just want us to remember Jesus' sacrifice tonight and the amazing privilege that it is um, not only that we get relationship with him, but that we get to live life together as God's church here in this room and I mean, Des is visiting tonight and lives in Indiana, but she's part of God's church too, right? All of us are part of God's church, so it's a privilege to have a life together.